This is Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff. Hola, hola. Soy Carla. It's Rachel here. What's good, y'all? I'm Ashraf. And I'm Madeline. Why Change is a podcast that brings listeners around the globe to learn how arts, culture, and creativity, especially as applied by young people, can change the world, one community at a time. You're invited each week to learn and laugh while exploring the question, why change? All right, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Why Change podcast. Jeff here, joined by the lovely Carla Estella Rivera. Carla, how are you? Oh, I am doing great. Daylight savings in the United States has come, so we are getting more light and uh, more light makes me a very happy person. Um, also, it's I feel like it's conference season. I feel like I'm getting on a lot of planes it and going to a lot of places to meet a lot of people who have a lot of really wonderful things to share. Um, and um, and so I've been packing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have no doubt that you're packing some excellent outfits, if I know you, that perfectly match your nails. Um, but yeah, no, I totally agree. It is conference season. It is uh, almost springtime where I am in the world. And it definitely was daylight savings, both with that loss of one hour of sleep and the continued daylight, which just, you know, makes our days a little bit brighter, both metaphorically and actually. Um, well, today, Carla, we have a, a really interesting conversation from our colleague, Madeline, who, if anyone uh, remembers from our last episode, is actually on holidays. So she um, had a wonderful conversation with Jose from El Sistema Greece and shared some really interesting insights into not only their program there in Greece and the El Sistema movement globally, but also the ways of which artists and musicians are showing up in a multitude of roles in society, which is something I know that you are deeply passionate about. I feel like that was the topic of every conversation you had last season. Right, right. Well, Carla, let's give it a listen and then we'll come back on the flip side to chat about it. Sounds good. Okay. Hello, everyone. Hi, Jose. Welcome. And thank you so much for being here to talk to me. I'm so happy to be able to talk with you just now and hear more about your work. So to give a little background to people listening, Jose is one of our commissioned ITAC innovators this year and is doing some really exciting work on action research that I bet we'll get into later. Um, but I also think we kind of have a shared mentor, maybe, in Eric Booth. So yeah. we kind of have that connection too, which is lovely. Um, and I don't want to do too much of your introduction because I feel like you will have a much better way of describing what it is you do. So to get started, can you just tell the listeners a bit about yourself, where you are in the world right now, and just explain the sort of bullet points of the work that you kind of primarily do? Yeah, so, well, um, first of all, thank you very much for this opportunity. And yeah, I mean... I mean, it has been a pleasure to work with you in ITAC um, through Eric, of course, like with Eric, and then having this opportunity to talk to you. Um, my name is, is Jose. I work as artistic director for El Sistema Greece, which is a program that is using the El Sistema um, philosophy, implementing it uh, to the context 
of the Greek society and covering the needs that are present in this in this context. Uh, we work a lot, for example, with uh, refugees in the refugee camps and also integrating them into the society, but then also with all kind of um, migrant population. And, you know, it, our, our work goes in many different ways, using music um, to to empower young people and then also to build a community um, in which, you know, everybody is welcome and everybody is freer. Um, my work as artistic director basically is to plan the activities that will be happening throughout the year in connection with the goals of the organization um, with these primarily pillars that we have, which are building a community and being accessible for everyone. And then also working a lot with the teachers of the program um, in how we will deliver the program and the structure of the program, the academic structure of the program. Thank you. And I think probably a lot of people listening will be familiar with the work of El Sistema because it is such a famous model um, in our sector. But I wonder if you could just talk a little bit more for anyone who doesn't know about the work that you do with El Sistema and you mentioned the refugee population where you are and give just give a few examples of, of what that work looks like in practice and, and what that does. Well, actually, I, I come from Venezuela, which is, let's say, uh, the place of origin of El Sistema and uh, the philosophy of El Sistema in general, the El Sistema movement is using music for social integration uh, and social development as well. So using ensemble practice, meaning choir, orchestras, but not only, um, kind of any sort of musical ensemble as a reflection of a society and how the roles of each musician um, is a parallelism to the role that people could take in the society. Um, and how we are trained, let's say, in social values through the musical practice that we that we do. And then also how with music you can approach holistic development and holistic education for, um, you know, educating citizens of a better tomorrow, as we would like to think. Um, in a Sistema in Venezuela, for example, there was a lot of um, work in really unprivileged areas um, and it was really accessible for everyone but then El Sistema movement is really adaptable to any context in which um, you are and then here in Greece for example one of the biggest problems apart from having access to music education for free um, which we which we offer then is also there is a problem of the real integration real real cohesion between the migrants, the resident population, and now the refugee population that is that is coming um, from the recent uh, world in the eastern part of the world. Wow, thank you. And so you mentioned a few social issues there that I feel like we should mention um, and just dig a little deeper into. And one was obviously community building. Um, the other was to do with social values and bringing people together and another was making it accessible to everyone so could you give an example maybe of 
what that work looks like in practice. Um, so I know you run workshops all the time. So what might that workshop look like or what might what might the participants be invited to do when they're part of that program? Yeah, so, well, to put it in very practical, um, you know, in a very practical way, um, that the issue of accessibility, we try to tackle it by um, trying to get funding to have our program totally free for our participants. And also, um, thanks to the generosity of many people who have donated instruments, we offer the instruments that we have in the program uh, to the students as well. We don't want to use the word for free because we believe that there is a there is let's say we offer the instrument and they offer their commitment so that it's not it's not entirely for free. This is what we would like to think. Um, and then also, um, the students in this way they are enabled to to learn music and then to have an environment where their education is at the center of what we do. Then also we in the still in the in the accessibility part, what we try to do is to ensure the best quality of education and the best quality of music we can uh, with the resources that we have. Uh, and we offer this to our students because we believe that um, quality, artistic quality and educational quality, it's very important for the enrichment of, of human beings. Um, so this is on the accessibility part. Then on the community part, then also we try to, let's say, when while our program is accessible for everyone, also we try to require or to uh, have the same expectations for everyone no matter their background, no matter uh, their country of origin, no matter their religion, no, it really doesn't matter. Um, we see everyone as equal and we try to even out the balance. Let's say we recognize that there are some people that have more needs, so we try to cover these needs so that, so that the balance is equal in our program and then the development, um, you know, what is expected from everyone could really be as equal as possible. This is what we do um, in terms of justice, let's say. And then also this becomes this, this becomes a community while we try the students as well. Uh, we try to promote an environment where the teacher is not above the students, but the teacher is at the same level of the students. And then the students are also in charge of the development of a group and they share the responsibility with the teacher so they have to help their classmates and then we like to believe that this works like circles so like concentric circles we have the circle of our classroom uh, and these that we do there we replicate it in the family circle because we will have students that will go to their families and their families will get let's say this benefit from this mindset and then we would like we would like to think that this will go to another circle, which is the community circle, where you have a family that is having this mindset and bringing this to their community. And in this kind, there is there is this kind of ripple effect in the work that we do. Um, and then, of course, what we do, because we were talking about creating ensembles, um, all of our music lessons are in groups. And then 
the students are learning repertoire to perform as part of a bigger ensemble. So for example, for a very practical example, if you have a student that is coming to learn the violin, in their first class, they will get the violin and they, they will start learning in a group um, their instrument and they are going to be preparing pieces that they are going to perform as part of a string ensemble with other kids and other instruments. And every end of the year, of the school year, we have a big gathering where all the students come together. So it's about, it's really like learning to play an instrument through the ensemble pieces. It is such a huge amount of work that you do. And I think probably one of the reasons Elsa STEM is so well known. Um, but I suppose another good starting question is how you ended up here. Um, you mentioned that you have your roots in Venezuela and now you're working in Greece. Um, and I know that you've been doing this work for a while. So I wonder if you could share what your journey has looked like up until this point. Um, and if you were to take us step by step through that, what would that look like? Um, well, I I learned music in an El Sistema movement in Venezuela. So I was really fortunate to have the opportunity to learn music and to to have accessibility, to have access to, to music education of high quality. Uh, I studied violin and orchestral practice, and then I studied conducting in Venezuela, and I had the chance to, to become a conductor of a youth orchestra when I was a teenager. I was 14 years old, and uh, there was a need for a conductor. I had my teacher there, so I, I, I had the opportunity of working with this youth orchestra while doing my studies. So um, let's say we grew up in parallel, and then... In El Sistema, I learned that it's not only about the music that you make, which which is um, high quality, high artistic quality, but then it's also about the environment, the community engagement, the um, the values that you that you transmit, and then um, as I was growing up, and the situation in the in Venezuela was getting worse, um, and you know some. People had to leave the country in order to help their families and etc. Um, I mean, I had this need. Also, I wanted to go out of the country to continue studying. Uh, but at the same time, I was introduced to the world of uh, teaching. I I am not a trained teacher. Um, I am married to an, an amazing, amazing teacher who has really... Um, made me fall in love with with teaching uh, and then i started approaching um like music teaching in a more holistic way not only from the musician point of view that is trying to get some students to play something but really like a musician that has a responsibility as well for the holistic education and well-being of their students while while you are in front of them so I worked for a year in the in San Lucia, in a Caribbean island, in a school of music where they were doing a model of a sistema. And then we came to Europe because they, they opened this position of artistic director. And I had been before in Sweden, um, in Sweden in an exchange, but working with El Sistema in Sweden, 
and I knew a little bit about the project in Greece. So I applied for this position and and we came. But then also I tried to develop myself. In, I tried to continue developing myself in this twofold kind of career. Like one career would be the music making, the artistry, the conductor that is uh, conducting professional orchestras and always with these values present, but approaching more the artistic side of things combined with the conductor who is also a, a teacher uh, that is working more with the youth orchestras on how to develop themselves as musicians, as, as better human beings. So let's say these are the sort of uh, steps that I have lived through and that I continue to live every every day. Wow. And you started as a participant and now you're the artistic director. That's amazing. Yeah, it's. Um, I think this is part also of the philosophy of El Sistema, which is what you learned, you try to pass on. So I think we are educated in this way in which we, we believe we have to continue granting this access to these music making opportunities so because i received all of this i feel a responsibility to ensure that many people will also have this opportunity wow it's an amazing legacy to be working towards because i can imagine that you see a lot of yourself in the participants that you currently have mm. yeah sometimes we sometimes we i don't know we, we tend to forget that we were there, but, you know, you have these kids in front of you who are reminded you con constantly uh, of many things and the real value of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. And I know that another facet to your work is um, the action research project that you're about to be working on. And I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about what that is, what you're doing with that and how it links to that work that you've just described? Well, one of the fundamental pillars of my growth, let's say lately, has been being part of the Academy for Impact Through Music, um, AIM, by the Hilti Foundation, which is an academy uh, that ha was designed for music teachers, change makers, actually, that will innovate through, you know, teaching music for social change. So, um, this academy has put together a fantastic group of professionals in the teaching artistry field, but then also musicians and music teachers and programs. And they have tried to tackle the issue of how, as a music teacher and as a musician, you can continue improving. Like there is always... Um, a way to improve and not necessarily having to, you know, having to um, have a teacher to to tell you what to do or to or a mentor that would be alongside with you all of the time. But how you can acquire the tools that you need to continue in your professional development. And in AIM, they use action research as, as one of these tools. So they use action research as a way of prof continuous professional development for music teachers. And now, I mean, Eric has been one of the pioneers of, because Eric also worked with AIM, 
uh, implementing and curating this action research for teaching artists. And then I had this marvelous opportunity with ITAC to do a workshop on the action research for teaching artists, also showing the results that we have had uh, with the Academy of Impact through music. Uh, and then also now we are putting together a handbook on action research for teaching artists that we are hoping to share with the field so that teaching artists around the world can have access to this um, material and they can, with very friendly language, with very um, specific examples, they can find a way to continue advancing their practice through action research. It's amazing because as you talk, I feel like every piece of work that you're involved in is so to do with developing a sector or developing a piece of work by focusing on self-development first. And I think that's such an amazing way to approach work. Um, I was at a wellbeing summit earlier this er, earlier last year now, and one of the key takeaways was the importance of developing your own self, your own practice and capacities before trying to engage and work with others. And I feel mm. like listening to you talk about what you do has just been such a an example of kind of nailing that. So yeah. that's really also I think from from the aims perspective, and I'm sure that from from Eric's perspective as well, like um, you see the student, you have to see the student as capable and whole and not, for example, as an empty vessel that you are going to just give information so that they are now filled with information and things to do. But actually, you have to consider that they are bringing a lot of things to the class and that you are just enhancing that or making them discover their potentials and bringing this forward. And in this way, I think also they see teaching artists in the same way, which is that the teaching artists sometimes, they are already um, good professionals. They already have all of the information. It's just that it's like dormant there. And then with action research, for example, you activate this part in the teaching artist. Um, and then it's just it just makes sense. And then you realize that sometimes professional development is rather than finding mentorship or rather than, you know, looking for advice, sometimes professional development is in you. You just need to unlock this. Right. And that's such a respectful way or it's sort of more than respectful and I can't think of the word that I'm trying to say I guess honoring the people in the room so much more than that empty vessel approach and I think that's such a a refreshing way to be approaching things because I think we probably all agree traditionally that isn't always the case in a in a teaching or development setting but it is such a beautiful way to be approaching that now um and the next question is going to be a really hard one because you've done so much of kind of really deep value. But if you had to pick one particular project or mission or initiative that you've been involved in that you're particularly proud of, what would that be? And what is it that makes you think of that one as being the thing that you're very proud of? Well, I would have to say really I'm proud of the work at El Sistema Gris. It has been 
I think one of the first projects that I have felt I have been really part of their development from the from the beginning and um and I'm really proud of where we have where we are now there is a lot of room for improvement and I I like to I I am conscious of the fact that sometimes I'm a bit impatient and I would like to see things as like you know perfect by tomorrow uh, but then also I mean this feeling of always being better i will never lose it i i hope so i think that it's good to just you know take a pause and realize how good things are now um i've been here for four years so i have really uh, i have really seen the development of the program the development of the structure um the development of some teachers of of some students as well is the first time i think that i am in a place where where I can see students growing and becoming, you know, like coming from a very distant kind of background and then becoming part of the community and wanting to do more for the program because I also feel the responsibility. Um, so, yes, I would have to say, and it has also been, I wanted to say that why I feel proud as well is, is because personally it has been, it hasn't been easy. To come to a new culture with different uh, approaches for things, with many different ways of doing the same things that we do back home in the way that we do them in Venezuela. Um, so personally, it has been a lot of growth in this part as well, understanding, um, growing and trying to adapt and being flexible. And I think this experience, I mean, Jose without El Sistema Gris would be really, really different. I think that there is a fundamental part that would be missing. Wow. And so picking up on that idea of growth then and, and developing and looking to the future with that, your work and the spaces you work in deal with some pretty significant social challenges or really specific contexts and there are so many social issues right now and contexts where teaching artists are working but I wonder looking ahead to the future if you have a thought or what do you think is the most crucial thing that change makers should be focusing on and if you were to make a guess at where we should all be focusing our energy so we're ready for that future that comes whatever comes next what do you think that would look like? Um, you know, it's it's very. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a difficult question in the sense that we. It's uh, as a good friend says, if I were a mathematician, I would do mathematics to change the world. But because I'm a musician, I do music to change the world. For example, uh, I think that we are all in different areas, and everybody from their from their perspective can do something to improve. But the I think the common thing that we see is that there is, there is room for improvement in the world in which we live in nowadays. And I think that everybody from their perspective could do could do something. Um, in From our part, for example, for me, something that the fundamental thing would be, you know, make whatever you do accessible for people, like whether you are a, whether you are a musician, whether you are a dancer, whether you're a music teacher, 
whatever you do, make it accessible because people need this. I mean, we need this as human beings, as artists that we need to express ourselves. Also, um, people need this. And also education, let's say, would be the answer to many problems. Like if we have a space for understanding, if we have a space for, you know, talking freely and understanding basically different point of view and um, and different you know different sides of what we do everything would be much better this is what i would like to believe so make everything accessible and create spaces like create spaces for people i think that the era of the artist who is like above on a stage just performing it's coming to an end because people need to be part of what you do. Wow. I feel like that's a very wise answer that I'm going to listen back to again. Um, your friend's quote, I think, is going to stick with me for quite a while. If he was a mathematician, that's how he'd change the world. Um, okay, thank you. And finally, um, on the podcast, to help people around the world sort of understand even more about you um we try to ask everyone at the sort of wrap up of the show just some quick fire questions um and ask you to give sort of quick fire one word responses or you know short responses um and I'm just going to throw these at you and and see what you say is that okay yeah it would be I will do my best okay amazing thank you so the first one is who inspires you uh, my students. And what keeps you motivated? Uh, my students. <laughs> and where are you most grounded? Um, at home, I think. Yeah. I really thought you were going to say with your students. <laughs> no, 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 no. With my students, I sometimes you have to to be, you know, you have to fly. Let's say so. Really at home. Okay. And where do you stay focused? Or how do you stay focused? Uh, you know, through, you say, I stay focused through discipline. Like sometimes it's difficult to, to stay focused with many things, but, you know, just keeping the main goal in mind, um, which is, you know, making something better for everyone. Okay. And finally, why change? Because we can, because we can always do better. I think. I don't know if this is a very perfectionist, uh, or I don't know, like toxic perfectionist way of seeing <laughs> things. But I think that I think that we can do better. So why not? <laughs> Thank you. I don't think that's toxic at all. I think that's the opposite. That's amazingly optimistic. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for giving us a snapshot of looking at your work and what it is you do I mean it's all so deep-rooted and and long-sighted in, in that sense so I mean we were never going to be able to dig as deep as I would love to but thank you for taking the time to talk to us about it to explain that and to to give folks a chance to know what's going on um I'll ask you to share some links with us so that if people want to learn more or hear more about 
what it is you're doing, they can they can look in the show notes and find some links to go and deep dive it a little more. Um, mm-hmm. Was there anything else you wanted to share or make sure you said before we signed off? No, I mean, uh, again, I mean, I wanted to thank you because connecting to what we have been talking about, this is a space you create for people and this is an accessible uh, accessible space you create for people to to know what is going what what is going on and to see how they can be part of things and to get ideas and to get inspired and and you know to have a space to to brainstorm to take a pause and reflect on things as well sometimes we are doing too much and we never take you know at that time to just you know think about what we're doing and for example this space for me has been really refreshing for that so i i thank you for being part of this. Thank you. I'm so excited to share this episode with people. I really think people are going to get a lot out of it. So um, a big thank you again, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thanks, Jose. And we're back. All right, Carla, what did you think about this conversation about musicianship and changing the world? You know, what's interesting is, you know, I am not a musician and I'm not steeped in kind of those um, those flagship organizations that are really doing work, not only nationally, but globally. And I've heard the term El Sistema millions of times and I've kind of shied away from it because it sounds like I'm going to indoctrinate you into this particular <laughs> way. And it does sound a little bit I don't know, like you have to almost meet it, you know, meet meet them where they're at. But quite, but I was really surprised and thrilled and affirmed um, by this conversation and by what El Sistema does. And, um, you know, the work that's being talked about here in this interview, this notion of accessibility, this notion of music being a tool for social change the image of the concentric circles of how uh, you, you know, you impact the student and the student can then impact the family and that family then impacts their communities. Um, I was really, really inspired by, um, by, by, by this interview and also um, just the mission of El Sistema's work and and what's being done, particularly in Greece and in other places across the country. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the El Sistema movement is something that, you know, inspires me every day. And, you know, and I, I think about in the term, in the terms of our work, oftentimes, you know, we're thinking about how do we catalyze that social transformation and and we can harken back to interviews with a number of folks um that that use that term social transformation but what i pulled out from this dialogue was really about that specific role of the musician that that quote of if i were a mathematician i'd use math to change the world but i'm a musician so i use my music to change the world right. coupled with Jose basically saying, you know, the the era of the artist on a stage in front of people is just over. Yes. I, I, it it leaves me with such a charge to reimagine how musicians and and artists in general have a place in our communities, how they interact with young people and families and the broader community, and the lasting impact that that has 
through a really holistic approach to musicianship. And that to me is something that kind of unlocks the space that we want to be in particularly in why change, right? Of of driving the change within our field in order to have these outputs that can uh, ripple out into communities and, and the world at large. And and I think that that is a, a wonderful charge for the artist side of all of us to think about where we sit and what we do. Yeah, I agree 100%. And the other thing that I pulled from this interview with Jose is also this notion of balance. Mm. Um, You know, to your point about the quote of the the time of the the musician being, you know, up on this stage is is over, really um, shows itself throughout this interview, thinking about everything from um you know de- you know kind of demystifying or debunking um you know the myth of free programming and you know i think a lot of people you know free programming can be really controversial in certain communities mm-hmm. and that free programming isn't free right um that he says we provide the instruments the students provide their commitment so that there is this symbiotic balance and a contract between them and and, in an exchange that really is not only beneficial to the student but also to the educator and we see this also in when they talk about professional development opportunities where um, it's honoring the people in the room and also what they're bringing into the room. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, one, when we are, I think many of us, you know, you and I have certainly both facilitated a lot of workshops and we've also participated in a lot of workshops. And so, um, you know, I try as much as possible to not be the person, you know, up at the, you know, you know, up in the front of the room that 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 holds all of the information because that would be a really false statement. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, a, a really wonderful facilitator of workshops will harness the gifts that are in the room and also provide space for that exchange. And you know, what Jose has shared is that, you know, it, it's not just about teaching the craft but it is also about how we provide space in these rooms for the kinds of exchanges that not only bolster the craft of musicianship, but also, you know, how we get along as human beings. And yep. that it was super beautiful. Yeah. What is that? There's a saying, uh, you know, you need to be the the guide by the side rather than the sage on the stage, I think is how it goes. I don't know who to credit that yeah. to, but someone said that much smarter than me uh, before, but I totally agree with that sentiment that it's it's really about that holistic approach and that holistic development of young people. And I think it's a really interesting paradigm shift to say, you know, you are a musician and a musician who teaches, we might say teaching artist, that is responsible certainly for the artistic development. That is kind of the core nugget of what you're doing. But through that lens of not being the full on, you know, expert, and this is the only way to do it, but actually holding that space to cultivate new and different ways. And that's how the arts evolve. But at the same time, holding the space 
to also look after the other elements of the human experience and, and cultivate that too. You know, it's really interesting because I had a revelation recently, Carla, that I myself as a teaching artist, I'm a tap dance teaching artist. That is my art form. And I had this kind of big aha moment. I was driving and I was like, why is it? I was asking myself, why is it that so many teaching artists kind of pass down knowledge in one way? This is the way I learned it. So that's how you're going to learn it. And that has been kind of cultivated in these vestiges of uh, of knowledge in the dance world, whether it's like the Vaganova technique or, you know, the, the Suzuki technique in music or whatever, right? That there is one way to do it. And I, I just really wonder if we took a lesson from, say, jazz, improv, or tap dance, where in tap, there's actually no dictionary. There is the notion of swapping steps. I do something, I teach you what I did, you innovate on it, do something a little bit different, then it becomes the Jeff step and the Carla step. And then there's something that we may create together and it's Jeff Carla step. And then it evolves and evolves and evolves. And it's a constant evolution of the art form. And so I just wonder that type of generosity in our artistry, especially in our teaching artistry, where we're not only passing down generationally the knowledge that was, to what the knowledge can be, but also fostering that space to totally change it up for the future and seed the power to the next generation of artists to evolve the art form in new and different ways. I don't know. I just, this is something I think about a lot and I feel like it was encapsulated in what's happening both with El Sistema, but also within, you know, El Sistema Grisa and the work that Jose is doing um, that was shared in that this conversation. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the power of informal pathways of learning. Mm -hmm. um, this, um, you know, this um, worship of the conservatory program. Um, and um, which, look, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not saying that conservatory programs are bad. But I do think that they're highly inaccessible uh, for many folks. And, um, you know, if those were the only outlets available for um, any student to access uh, to which that is their vocation, you know, one, um, you know, you're losing an entire, you're losing swaths of creative people, one. Um, and two, there is very little room to deviate from, you know, what is, I would, you know, in, in theater, we call it the canon or, you know, the, the, the ways of doing things. And, um, you know, these informal ways of learning certainly bring those classic elements in what I would call those basic building blocks mm -hmm. um, in storytelling. You know, there is the, the narrative structure. Right. And and musician, you know, making music is also its own form of storytelling. And so I think these ways of teaching informally and then providing space to then have these students not only communicate what they've learned from what you've taught them, but then to say, and now I'm going to innovate here and go to this other place. And I may not have a formal name for it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I may call it something wildly different. I remember being at a conference a few years ago 
And, you know, I was with, it was an arts education uh, conference and there were these students that were doing a particular dance and the moves weren't 100% crisp and accurate according to somebody who was a dancer sitting next to me. And the terminology that they were using was not according to them proper terminology. And these folks were really angry about the terminology, but they weren't seeing the transformative space that mm -hmm. these young people have created. And so uh, that's what excites me about Jose's interview and the work that Jose is doing and what they're doing globally, because that is where I think um, that's the sweet spot for me. That yeah. is the place where I enjoy. And that's, I think, how I came up as an artist as well. And we and, and we see this as a testament to Jose's life because he started as a participant mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and now he's an artistic director. Yeah. You know, two things that you just said, Carla, really resonate with me. The first is this idea of, of holding the space like those of us that do have privilege and power and decision making authority that we just need to create those spaces that increase accessibility and and hold the opportunities for people to own their own work, you know, like to just get the hell out of the way, you know, open the door and, and step out. But also, you use the term vocation. And it's funny, because I feel like that was exactly the piece here that gives me some peace of mind in, in that our vocations can be wildly different. We can be teaching artists or arts educators. We can be working artists or musicians, which we know is only a very small, you know, piece of of the the arts and cultural sector pie. But we can also be folks that that give money, that are in charge of philanthropy, or people that are evaluating programs, or people that are running programs, excellent project managers and and program administrators, um, arts managers, if you will, and. The idea here, though, is that a piece of that vocation is the commitment to change the world, whether as a musician or a mathematician or an arts manager, evaluator, funder, teaching artist, you name it. It's about really surrounding yourself with people that have those those same values and that same North Star vision for what it is that we're doing here. I think the point of you know, the change that we want to see that we talk about in every episode on why change is that it's about the people and those people who have the vision for a better world and use their artistry or their craft or their vocation to open those doors, hold those spaces, look after the whole human and create the world that they want to see. And that's a piece that we forget, right? Like when was the last time change the world was listed in a job description, right? You know, I think we need to start moving towards that. I don't know. Don't you? <laughs> yes. It's, you know, and, 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 you know, this is, I mean, I, I think you and I are kind of cut from the same cloth in that way, which is, it's not just this work for the sake of the work, right? It is this work with, with a mission, and um, and it is also the great experiment of um, planting a seed and seeing how it grows. Um, and um, and I think what's lovely about, you know, you know, if you are securing your vocation and in your artistry, and kind of your brand and how you do things, that might also, you know, integrate 
other ways of doing things. And you and I are both artists. You are a dancer. I am a storyteller and a writer. But what we do, uh, you know, with our chosen vocation is also engaging in social change work, engaging in, uh, you know, building and growing our network, engaging in information exchange, engaging in a global conversation about how our vocations can in fact enhance uh, the world outside of the intrinsic value of artistry. And um, and so, yeah, do I think that changing the world should certainly be on a on a, you know, in a position description? Absolutely. I think we should all strive to leave this world better than we found it. Mm-hmm. And also leave the room, you know, leave room for for people, you know, you know, I, I use gardening metaphors a lot, but you know, if you have roses and I come, you know, with hibiscus, the way that we tend to, you know, those flowers are going to be very, very different. They can all be part of the same garden. And then other people will bring different, they will bring in their traditions, they will bring in their languages, they will bring in the different kinds of flowers and plants that then all of the sudden you've got this stunning, you know, garden that, that, that you know, is about us meeting each other where we're at and, and exchanging mm-hmm. and just having, you know, a rose garden, which will be pretty, but, you, but, but will be limiting. And why are we limiting ourselves? I love this analogy. It's also so much springtime. I can tell yeah, it's right? like seeping <laughs> into your brain that everything is a garden analogy. You know, I think, Carla, that is the perfect analogy that that we can land on here. You know, it is that that beautiful compilation of diversity that creates that space and to take the analogy just one step further i think what jose really was talking about you know is cultivating the conditions for that garden to thrive you know the right soil and watering daily and things like that that we could run with this forever but you know that charge though is one that's really important and that we shouldn't forget and i think that's where we can leave it today with the charge to use our artistry in ways that cultivate the space for a type of garden yeah. Well, Carla, thanks so much for joining me. And thanks. Shout out to Madeline, who is on vacation right now for uh, bringing us a wonderful interview. And thank you to Jose for the brilliance uh, that was shared. And thank you to all of our listeners. We'll catch you next time. Yeah. See you soon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. All sources discussed in this episode are located in the show notes. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Also, you can write us at info at creative-generation.org. We would love to hear your ideas, the topics you want to learn about, and why change matters to you. This episode was produced by Madeline McGurk. The executive editor is me, Jeff M. Poulin. Our artwork is by Bridget Woodbury. Our editor is Katie Rainey. This podcast theme music is by Distant Cousins. A special thanks to our contributors, co-hosts, and the team at Creative Generation for their support.